Hey, good morning, everybody. Sure is good to see everyone this morning. I, I have right here a Ziploc bag full of soil. And this soil is not just any soil. This soil came to me straight in this way from Nairobi, Kenya. It is the soil from the groundbreaking of the new school in Grogan that is a partner with us here at Outlook. And uh, this soil represents a lot more than just a simple dusty bag of dirt. This soil, this bag of dirt represents your generosity. Your generosity turned this dirt over so that a school could begin to start being built. So children in Nairobi's slums could get an education which will result in cycles of poverty being broken. And then graduates launched out as they become adults into this world to make a difference. All of that is represented in this. We've been looking uh, for the last few weeks at just how much the scriptures talk about and teach us about money and finances and our possessions and our wealth. And that the good life of more and better stuff that this world would have us chase does not compare to the great life of generosity and contentment that God provides. And today we're going to learn more about this conversion of earthly stuff into eternal good, of our earthly goods into eternal good, and how our generosity can be motivated by mission. Now, the Apostle Paul, early Christian leader, missionary, traveled his area of the world spreading the good news of Jesus, also author of a pretty decent percentage of what we call the New Testament. Uh, He was well aware of this conversion of material generosity into spiritual results. In fact, one of the aspects of his missionary work was collecting an offering for Christians uh, in need in Jerusalem who were suffering under severe poverty because of the intense persecution they had to endure. And so you see him mention this in his correspondence with Christians in various cities. And he refers to this offering as he closes his second letter to the Corinthians. And he lays down in this passage that we're going to focus on today some super helpful insights. So let me begin reading. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 10. Paul says this, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result, he says, of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we get the chance now to dive into this passage and let it speak to us. And that's our prayer, Lord. Speak to us. That by your Holy Spirit, you'll use this time that we have together uh, to drop into each of our minds, hearts, souls, 
exactly the truth that we each need to hear. And the Holy Spirit, you're an expert at that. And we trust you in that to be our teacher this morning. Use this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So really, here's the central question of what we're talking about this morning. If you could sum it up, we could sum it up like this. Do we underestimate the potential our material goods can have for spiritual good, especially when we give them to God? And I think sometimes, perhaps, we do under, make an underestimation there. Why? Because it can be easy to forget. We get caught up in the day-to-day of budgets and bills and saving and spending and all the pressures and worries and expectations that come with them. And the monotony of money management can numb us to the truth about our earthly treasure, that it actually can be used to do tremendous eternal good, good in the world and good in us. Check this out. If all church-going American Christians tithed. Now, tithing, that is, they, if all church-going, just American, not the whole world, but just American Christians, set aside, a st- steadily set aside a percentage of their giving. Uh, 10% is what a tithe is. We are actually all free to set it wherever we feel led between us and the Lord. But across the millennia, as we've discussed in previous sermons, a tenth has been kind of a biblical baseline. For, so for the sake of math, that's what this illustration is using. If every American church-going Christian tithe gave a 10% back into God's kingdom and his work, there would be an additional $165 billion for churches to use and distribute every year. The global impact of such giving would be phenomenal. The light, the brightness, the witness of the church of Jesus Christ in the world would be impossible to ignore as the church would be able to spend, let's say, $25 billion in order to relieve global hunger and starvation, as well as deaths from preventable diseases. It would take five years. $12 billion could be, would eliminate illiteracy in those same five years. $15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, especially at places in the world where 1 billion people live on less than $1 a day. Another billion could fully fund all overseas mission work, and that still leaves 100 to 110 billion that could be left for any other additional ministry, expansion, or creativity that the Lord would have in mind. Now, of course, those are some pretty amazing numbers. Let's keep them in mind as we move through this passage that Paul wrote so many years ago and is now letting those words land on us today. Verse 10 of the passage begins, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. So he's talking about there's a system here, and God is involved in it. The farmer gets seed, creates bread to eat. There's a conversion there. In the same way, he says, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Again, the context here is that they have given him generously an offering to help others in need. And so that's why he's writing what he's writing. That's the context of what he's saying. Now, try to set aside some maybe some other ways you've heard this interpreted and just listen to it afresh. This is not about getting rich or God owing us wealth. I gave, so now God's obligated to give to me back monetarily in that way. That's not what this is about. 
This is about opening ourselves up and living into God's way of doing things, which always includes giving and receiving and giving some more. And so this does something in and through us. And the way Paul puts it is it produces a great harvest of what? Wealth? That's not what I'm reading here. Notoriety? Mm -mm. Influence? No. Generosity. It produces in us more of that fruit that as we're generous, we become more generous. It produces uh, uh, more in us. And that's why he says generosity in you. That's the good in us that our giving does. When we handle our financial resources generously, as God would have us, something healthy and beautiful happens in us. We become more open-handed in giving in other areas of our lives. Perhaps the thing that we might be the most tempted to cling tightly to our stuff, when we allow ourselves to be kind of open and, and, and let the Holy Spirit pry us open sometimes in that, and we become open-handed, we become open-handed in other ways too, like patience and forgiveness. That we start to see that this idea of giving, not keeping, not giving forgiveness, not holding it back, or being patient and giving love, not holding it back. That's a great way to live. And when we can do it with our stuff, we find we're also able to do it better in all kinds of ways, because it's changing who we are. I think that's why Jesus warns us, as we've looked at in previous weeks, about not letting money be our master, and that he reminds us of the connection between our hearts and our treasure, because he knows that when our stuff starts owning us instead of the other way around, it diminishes us, it shrinks us in our humanity. And our hands and thus and then our hearts aren't open to give, but clenched in greed, as we talked about previously. So generosity begets generosity. There's a good virtuous cycle that's happening here in us. And Paul is writing about that. He goes on in verse 11, yes, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Here it is again, just in case you thought it was one of those, you thought it was a one-off or maybe something preachers just like to make a lot of. We keep running into this throughout the scriptures, that we are called to a rich life, a great life, not just the good life that the world would try to sell us, but instead the great life of giving of ourselves generously in all kinds of ways, in service and in care of others. I was just thinking about the fact that uh, yesterday was Veterans Day. Our veterans Im certainly embody this ethic. We celebrate this ethic of giving ourselves in service to others. Amen? If you know a veteran, make sure you thank him or her for their service to us. Amen? Paul is saying here that we will be enriched in every way, so we'll always be generous. Clearly, this is a good thing. This is something that, that is meant to be happening in us, be produced in us. Clearly, this is Paul's understanding of God's goal for us as Christians, that in every way, always, we could be more like him. We could be generous. He goes on, and when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result, he says, from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Needs will be met, and God will be glorified. And again, this is part of that conversion, that something as seemingly mundane as the money in my bank account could actually then be converted into something as wondrous as worship to God, as gratitude to God, as praise to God. And that, but that's exactly the kind of conversion that does indeed happen. Needs are met, 
God is glorified. So let's talk about those needs for a minute. The needs of humanity could be said to fall in three main categories. And I believe all three categories are categories Christians are called to care about, and in fact, are perfectly suited to be the ones to care about them most and demonstrate what caring about them looks like in this world. For instance, first, compassion. This world needs compassion. People who are moved by the needs of others. They see a need that needs to be met, and they want to act on that. They are moved by compassion. Justice would be a second one. That when we see things that thanks to the darkness and the sin of humanity and evil in the world, there are things that are wrong that can be righted, things that are broken, that can be set, set aright. And we see those things and we want to get behind any effort to begin to make things right and just and true for others. And that takes us to the third one, truth. That not only do we see good to be done, but we see good things to be shared, good truth to be shared, a gospel to share. And that we see that so much of the hurting and pain in our world today is because there are folks who haven't heard or have chosen to ignore what is actually true, right? They're falling for some lies. And so to be truth tellers in a world that is thirsting for truth is also a huge need that needs to be met. Compassion and justice and truth, all of these things are things that we as Christians can be taking the lead on because we know the one who embodies them perfectly in Jesus Christ, amen? So when it comes to this idea of our giving and what our giving can make happen, let's definitely not count uh, short the tremendous power for good in this world our generosity and sacrificial giving can have. Think about it. Right now, we have this ability to participate in funding work that alleviates hunger and provides clean water. We could choose to uh, get out our phones even during this sermon and make a donation that would help make that happen alleviates hunger, provides clean water, rescues people from being trafficked, and brings their traffickers to justice, promotes education, reduces illiteracy, advocates, uh, advocates for the wrongly accused, prevents diseases, distributes Bibles, protects the abused, corrects racial inequity, shelters those without a home, and shares the gospel with those yet to hear it. This and so much more is possible for us through our generosity. And our steady, joyful giving funds our home churches as well. The places where we are fed and where we get to serve. And as I've said before and have no trouble reiterating, if you see your local church, in, in, in your local church, which for you is Outlook, if you see in your church ministry flowing and integrity and servant leadership and a space that's created to welcome people so they can explore and grow in faith, then you are witnessing one of the most, uh, one of the things the world needs most, a local church who does that. So get behind it and get involved in it, and yes, give financially to it. I believe, and I'll say it again, that churches, local churches with a heart for the world and a mind tuned to the needs of their communities should be the best funded enterprises on the earth. Now, when I say things like this, I got to admit, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. I'm standing in the comments this morning watching hundreds of Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes come back. I'm watching you bring in Thanksgiving bags. And I know that I'm talking to people who enjoy being generous. This is, not, this is a point not lost on all of you. And so many thanks for the way you make such good things happen. Those are just two examples. And when we give our offerings, when we 
do, when we fund a local church, we are also fueling the cause of Christ. And let me just review for a moment what your giving makes possible through just our partners and what we do here at Outlook. You make possible church planting in Venezuela, mental health training in Italy, Bible translation in Guinea, a hospital in Haiti, eye exams in Honduras, and by the way, in the fall of 24, uh, we're planning a joint adult student trip to Honduras, so keep, uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. Bibles for students in Latvia. And yes, schools for tens of thousands of kids in Kenya. This last one happens through our partners, Missions of Hope. We've been partners with them for many years now. We've taken so many trips there. We've really developed some wonderful relationships as we partner specifically with a school in a neighborhood within the slums called Grogan. And Grogan has just recently broken ground on that school, long anticipated new school for them. This is our uh, pastor at Renewal, um, Mike Wilkins, uh, our daughter church. He was at that groundbreaking along with several other outlookers. This is Mike breaking some ground right here. Uh, this is a student breaking some ground, and you can see here uh, a depiction of the school when it will be finished. And here we, you can see that they've already begun moving a lot of dirt, and plans and actions are finally underway. And so that is a super cool thing to think that we, were, get, we got to be a part of. If you remember, our last capital campaign was called Prepared. It allowed us to make necessary uh, preparations to our kind of to our grounds, some drainage, pond expansion, some things. It allowed us to lower our mortgage a sizable chunk, and we participated in uh, sending money to help make this school possible, all through that giving initiative. And so many thanks. You were absolutely involved in making this possible. And that is a fun thing to be a part of. Also, stay tuned there. We'll be heading back to Nairobi in the summer of 24 uh, as well. So uh, keep your eyes uh, peeled for information about that too. Now, it's fun for me to recount things uh, like this that we've been a part of for years. And maybe if you're newer around here, this is news to you. In addition, if you've been around Outlook for a few years, you also know something about us, the size of our congregation and thus our budget is not what it was before the pandemic and before the turmoil of 2020 and 2021. But despite these challenges, we have not diminished by a single penny the support we give our missionaries and ministry partners around the world. And I wanna thank you for that. That is a commitment that we stay true to. But that's just our global work and our global partners. Let's go local for just a second. Let's talk about lambswear and clothing children in and around Indianapolis through this wonderful organization founded by Outlookers. Since its founding, lambswear has distributed over 25,000 bags of clothes to families in need. Uh, and a lot of you get to be a part of that every given week. And then the church we planted a couple of years ago, also for years before that, had a nonprofit ministry behind it called Renewal Neighborhood Ministry. 
involved in tutoring and providing housing and all kinds of ministry. I mean, we could just go on and on at the 42nd and Post neighborhood through our daughter church and through that nonprofit that we founded. And so your funding, your giving funds wonderful, beautiful work through both of these ministries, not to mention some other partners that we have that provide uh, uh, help for the unhoused in Greenfield or food for the hungry in and around McCordsville and on and on. Not to mention the really tremendous amount of ministry that flows through here every day of every week, whether it's through our preschool or our sports leagues or our pastoring or our support groups or on and on and on. There's just so much there. And honestly, here at Outlook, I have to say, we are dripping with potential for more in this regard. So much good to do. So much truth to share, so much caring and healing to offer, so many new neighbors to meet. I'm so excited for the years ahead for us here at Outlook. And I'm excited because I know that God has work for us to do and God's work will thrive when generously and joyfully supported by God's people. Amen. Paul talks about this dynamic. When we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. This, these, these words show up twice. Needs and thanks. Needs and thanks. Part of this cycle of seeing uh, needs met so that God can be glorified. We get to be a part of that. This is the way he puts it in verse 13. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For all your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. I love the fact that Paul calls this your ministry as he writes to these Christians. I mean, he's the missionary, right? And he's the one kind of risking his neck. and He's the one out there traveling all over their part of the world. But it's not his ministry. He's recognizing that their giving and generosity is their ministry. It's part of how they are participating in God's work in the world. So think about it for ourselves. You and I are, in a sense, out there doing good through the resources we share. This means that no matter my level of expertise or lack thereof, or my ability to go places, or my mobility and all kinds of... None of those things can keep me from participating in God's work in all those ways. Someone, for instance, can devote themselves full-time. Someone who knows what they're doing and is in the right place with the right training, they can devote themselves full-time to justice work or relief efforts because you and I generously shared our finances. So, in a sense, we are part of that. It's your ministry, Paul says, even though it's being done through him. And yes, the ministry that God does through me and Amy and Joe and Kate and Blake and Justin, as well as all of our ministry staff, you're all a part of that. The countless pastoral meetings and conversations and ministry and mission projects and community connections and one-on-ones, it's just really impossible to quantify the impact of a healthy local church on a community. And that is all of us, amen? It's all of us participating in that. Now, when we talk about subjects like this, I can't help but think about the fact that uh, as a senior minister, my inbox uh, gets filled with uh, all kinds of promotions and advice and articles and on and on. And when it comes to this subject that we're talking about right here, there is a plethora of advice out there telling me that as a pastor, what I need to do in this regard is cultivate high capacity donors. Uh, that I need to know who the big givers are, and I need to stay tight with them. That is disconcertingly common, unfortunately, it seems like, out there. 
And I want you to know, friends, I'll never do that. I never have, and I never will. I believe that my job is to love everyone, to teach the Bible, and to keep our church doing its mission. Amen? And I exist for one reason, to develop, teach, encourage, and lead by example a people who are, as Paul puts it here, obedient to the good news of Christ. And this good news isn't just that my soul is saved and I'll go to heaven after I die. This good news is, as Jesus put it, pre is preached to the poor, is freedom for the oppressed, is recovery of sight for the blind. It announces God's gracious favor and love on humankind. That is the good news. And as we grasp that good news, all of us, and submit our lives happily to the Christ of that news, then no preacher will have to convince us about giving or care, or generosity, or fueling and funding the ministry of the church that Christ died for. Instead, we will become people who simply say, take it, take it all, and take my heart and my soul too. It's all yours. Nothing else has to be done in that regard. It's just that simple to me. This is the way, it seems simple to Paul too. This is the way he wraps it up. And they will pray for you with deep affection. Because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. And it is wonderful. When churches talk about money and it leaves people feeling pressured or guilty or inadequate, they're doing it wrong. It is a wonderful thing that we're participating in. It is a wondrous way that God redeems and utilizes, even maximizes our income for his impact. So our motivation toward mission through how we steward our money seems to be definitely worth our prayerful consideration. Not what can I get, but what can I give? What can I leave? Not just what can I have? What do, not what do I deserve, but how can I serve? What difference can I make? Giving and generosity is actually a courageous, virtuous, heroic act. And we get to be a part of it. So I take us back to our original question. Do we underestimate the potential of our material goods and what they can the potential they can have for spiritual good, especially when we give them to God. We don't need to underestimate it. We can see them in a new light. See the stuff and the, the dollars and the resources that God has given us, whatever they are, in a different light. That says, these aren't just the things that help me pay my bills, but I also see that there are people I could feed through them. Or who can I bring close to the Lord? Or who could I house or clothe or educate? Who, how could I be a part of that? How could I be a part of their spiritual life? How could my giving help pastor or counsel or care for people? When you think about it, we use the funds God's given us for all kinds of things, right? Lots of things. I'm personally pretty good at turning my dollars into cheeseburgers, which are eaten and then gone, right? And I pretty much have to trade some of our money uh, for electricity, which Tamara and I would use in our home, never to be recovered. But how cool it is. When I get to convert, when we get to convert some of these funds that God has given us into people experiencing his love in tangible ways, perhaps even drawing near to him. It is the highest and best use of my and our material goods doing real spiritual good. And the people who are changed most by that, that's us. I'm going to ask you to take your bread in your cup that you may have picked up on your way in 
Every week we stop and pause and remember the fact that God is a giver and that God gave, that Jesus gave his life on the cross for us. Often during this time, I'll find myself quoting uh, 1 John 3.16, which says, this is how we know what love is. When we really, when we hold the bread and the cup, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. But let's, I want to give that some context this morning, especially in light of what we just talked about. John goes on to say, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. How do, what does that look like? If anyone has what? Material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So this is how we live out the love that's been defined for us on that cross. This is what it actually looks like in my life and in yours. Dear children, he says, let's not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And so that's our prayer this morning as we take the bread first. We remember a body given for us through love because of love. And that we, in turn, will lay down our lives for those in need, whatever that may look like. Let's take and eat together. And when we take the cup, we're remembering just what love costs, what sacrifice looks like. Jesus shed his blood for us. We understand that he calls us to a life of sacrifice and giving and sharing as well. And so when we take it, we're also pledging ourselves to follow him imperfectly, but wholeheartedly in this. Let's take and drink together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. And we, we, we reiterate our prayer at the beginning that you will have taught us this morning. That, Lord, it's my prayer that in these last few minutes we'll, we will have heard not from me, but from you. And that we'll leave here with a word planted in our soul that's from you. Something we need to act on, meditate on, consider, discuss. Uh, turn over in our hearts and in our minds and make it a part of who we are. Whatever that is for each of us, Lord, that's what we're praying will happen. And we're going to rely on you for that. You're good at it, and we're thankful for it. In Jesus' name, amen.